We know culture is very much created by people, but to be able to build that culture, it does have to be driven by the leadership. And that starts with the CEO, with the executive directors and every leader in every area of an organization. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest today is an expert and leading authority in service leadership and customer service, speaker on managing difficult customer behavior, and the author of the new book, They Serve Like We Lead. She holds a bachelor's degree in training and development from the University of Melbourne. And now with over 22 years of honing her craft, She has had the privilege of addressing over 50,000 individuals, instilling the principles of effective service leadership and customer care. Our guest isn't just another authority in her field. She's a go-to expert for media outlets like Sky News, Sunrise, CEO World, and the CEO Institute, and has worked with many ASX top 200 companies, including ANZ Transurban Group and iconic brands, including the Melbourne Cricket Ground, Melbourne Airport and Mercedes-Benz. I have the pleasure to bring to you a passion, someone who's very passionate about leaders who own their customer service, proud mum of a 13-year-old son who recently released his first single, Sick of Excuses, on iTunes, and the force of service leadership herself, Monique Richardson. Monique, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Craig. What a fabulous introduction. Uh, I was just enjoying your smile there as well <laughs> as as we, <laughs> I'm sure you. I brought out something that most people don't. Now you live in Melbourne, but I'd love to Correct. know where did you grow up? And for you, when you're running around the playground, what was the big dream? Well, I grew up in country Victoria, so I was born in Melbourne. My dad worked with the bank, so we did a lot of moving. So we went Melbourne, then we went Geelong, then we went Wangaratta, and then we moved to a little country town called Chilton. So there was about a 1,000 people in the town, and my dad was the, the bank manager. And then we ended up moving back to Melbourne when I was about 12. And so then, you know, have been in Melbourne ever since. So I did have a really interesting dream though, Craig, that I wanted to play the electric guitar in a rock band. Um, didn't quite eventuate, but that was the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was your your favourite band back then or your favourite guitarist? Well, it was Kiss. That was oh, sort of my favourite band and uh, was a very, very big fan of Rick Springfield as well. 
Love it. I love it. I love it. So, you know, obviously you're traveling around, you know, a town of a thousand people. You're, everyone's going to know your dad. You know, he's, he's kind of a very important person being the bank manager. Uh, for you, what was it like sort of growing up in smaller towns, but also getting the experience of the big city in Melbourne? Yeah, it's really funny. I Growing up in the country, I think you definitely had that freedom, but I always felt such a strong calling to the city. And so it was really interesting having the experience of, of both. And my elder sister was sort of more loved that country. And so there was that book called The Country Mouse and The City Mouse. And so, you know, I always very much identified as a city mouse that was always looking at the the city. And when we used to come and visit my Nana Jean, we'd be driving over that hill and I'd see the city. And I was just like, that's just where I wanted to be. So when I found out we were moving to Melbourne, I was beside myself, couldn't wait to get here. <laughs> now, during your teenage years in the city there, were you, did you feel you were more of a leader or follower? Really interesting question. I think those, you know, teenage years can be really, really challenging. Um, And I think for me particularly, those teenage years, for me, were a little bit of hiding, to be really honest. So I was bullied severely at school. Mm. And so those years of being at school, you know, for me initially, I think came out as somebody who, you know, got that first leadership role in year seven and so on. So that was sort of where I was heading. But those years, you know, when you sort of get bullied for being who you are, you learn to hide and learn not to stand out. So definitely not a follower, but it was, you know, being able to then get through that and then be able to sort of come out the other side. And I think once I left school for me, I really felt like that that was when my life began. So I was somebody that probably didn't have, you know, a positive experience at school, but always loved my work. So while I was at school, I was working at the Safeway Deli from the age of 14 years and nine months. And and for me, just fell in love with customer service. I just loved it. So I loved my part-time work while I was at school. But when I was watching everybody crying on the last day of school, I was just like, just, I cannot wait for my life to begin. So it was really interesting to see how then propelling into work, I felt like that now the world made sense. Mm. And sorry to hear you were bullied uh, while you were at school. And, you know, kind of, I talked about like leader follower, there's probably even a passenger there in a way where maybe you fell more into a passenger situation where you just kind of tried to put a bubble around you or protect yourself from what's going on. And obviously when people go through bullying, some of it, it, it either cripples them or for others, it actually unleashes something because they go, Hey, you know what? I don't want this to happen to anyone else. And, mm. and obviously seeing you and uh, being someone who's really focused on customer service and service leadership, you know, and the way that you sort of fell in love with customer service working, it, it seems that you took the latter approach. Yes, and I think that's why I'm still so protective of our customer service community. And, you know, sometimes too, we do, we see bullying and aggression from, you know, customers. And so it is something that I absolutely really have a very strong, you know, stand, you know, on to make sure that we do care and, and protect our, our customer service community. So, you know, I know it happens to, to lots of people, but I think, you know, for me, having a, a loving and supportive, you know, family and, and that made a huge difference in in that journey as well through school. Mm. When you look at your family and you, and you think back to what roles they had, was it very much a service-minded family? Like, were they there to really serve community and, and help people? 
Yeah, definitely. So, you know, my mum is a nurse, a trained nurse, but also a music psychotherapist that also has done a lot of work in, you know, grief and and loss, but also spent so much time, like, you know, nursing is just one of those, as they're referred to so appropriately, you know, our our earth angels. And so my mum was always, you know, there. Um, Even before that, my grandma and and grandpa that worked for St. Vincent de Paul and my, you know, grandma that used to do remedial teaching and teach people how to to read adults that had, you know, got to life in their 30s and 40s without knowing how to read and write. And and then my dad being with the bank. And so, you know, a very strong service role. But mum and dad also did a lot of work, you know, for the community and sport. And, you know, it was it was something that I was, you know, just surrounded by, whether it was you know, going with my dad to go and visit young, you know, people with disabilities, you know, just to be able to spread some sunshine. And then my, um, you know, my mum that would go in and play her, you know, guitar and sing for the elderly residents on the weekends. It was something that I think was a very, very powerful, you know, force in my upbringing. Mm. And and I know recently you you posted around your, your sister that, um, passed away 24 years ago from a, a tragic accident and she was only 21 years old but you you talked about sort of something that inspired her you know a quote that inspired her which was which, which is something that sits with you today do you want to share what that quote is yeah I think you know that was a quote that she just used to love and you know the the exact you know wording around that from the that you know just about you know to be able to leave that you know world a better place and you know I think that seeing the impact of her life, you know, at only 21, you know, years of age. And there was, there was well over, you know, a thousand people at her, you know, funeral. And there was police that, you know, were directing traffic, but it was just because she was just such a kind, caring human being that just made everybody just feel just so special, you know, and that was, you know, I look at that legacy of her life and, you know, I think it's, you know, to have made one life, to have breathed easier because you have lived. That's what it is to have succeeded. And, you know, I saw that in in action in such a a young person. And, you know, she had her own, you know, you know, challenges and things that she had gone through, but it was just the love for other people and young children that she was always so kind to and just that care that she extended and made everyone feel like they were so important. I still get messages from people to this day about the the impact of her life. So, and just, you know, keeping that memory alive for me is really important. I love that quote that we only truly die when people fail to remember us. And so mm. for me, keeping the legacy of my family alive is really important. Mm, I love the legacy piece. Very beautiful. And yeah, you know, when we look at, you know, I suppose, a, a younger generation now, I kind of get the feeling that they tend to care a lot more about other people and the world. And you know, maybe it's through, maybe it's just the the environment we've created, the, the older generations have created, or or maybe it's kind of through some of the world events that have happened recently that's actually pulled them all together and they just, you know, they, they have a greater care for the world. Are you seeing that as well? Or is that just something I maybe just kind of observe based on experiences? Mm. Well, given our children, you know, four children ranging between 11 and nearly 24 and and four of them in between, I do, I see, you know, four very deeply empathetic, you know, compassionate, you know, individuals that, you know, that are concerned about the world and social justice and just also being able to, 
stand up for those that need to be, you know, stood up for and, and fighting against, you know, all types of injustice. And I think it's a it's a conversation that they have, um, but I also think it's so important that that's also what we model, you know, a, as parents so that those conversations, you know, are also being had. But I'm very, very proud of, you know, my four four advocates and and particularly their their passion for for social justice. Yeah, I kind of feel our own, like our, our real tr- true leadership in this world is when we are as parents and it, mm-hmm. it teaches you so much, but it, it is, to me, probably the, it is the most important leadership we can provide because we are, you know, the world is designed, well, I feel in a way that we, um, we have children and, and our job is to, to protect the future, you know, and to set them up for a better future than what we have. Um, so which is which is wonderful for you role model wise along the way has there been someone that has really stood out as someone that has had a huge impact on who you are in this world look i always do come back to my my dad i think you know particularly from that service perspective definitely my mum as well like both of them but when we're looking at it from that service perspective that i just watched dad you know, in that role as a bank manager and going back those years ago, bank managers were very revered. You know, we used to spend our weekends going to client christenings and weddings and they used to do the dance of honour for my dad. I'm sure it's because he'd helped to pay for the wedding. Uh, My, you know, dear late father couldn't dance. So it was always me doing the, you know, the dance of honour with dad. And, you know, but for me, it was just about the level of passion and care that he had for his team and also his customers. And for me, dad taught me about the, you know, that whole role modeling around everybody is equally important. We just do different jobs. So, you know, his last sort of bank that he sort of worked at was at a hospital. And so, but he knew the names of the security guards and that they barracked for Carlton and would bring them in footy cards, you know, all the way through to the top cardiologist in the hospital and, you know, all of the nursing, you know, staff, the also his, you know, people that he worked with as well. So for me, dad taught me about, you know, that whole being of service to others, but also the way that he made everybody feel just so special and so important. It was just... You know, he never sat me down and said, this is how you do it. But it was just watching his, you know, example all of those years that had a really strong impact on on my service philosophy. The behaviours and things that our, our parents uh, role model in front of us, we tend to reflect a lot along the way. And it's, you know, it shows the, the importance of that role we have as a parent. And it's great that you're able to sort of see that service mindset, that, that real care for it goes beyond just the family and, and friends to those that, you know, he served on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, when you, especially when you're talking about a town of a thousand people, when you are there, that's, you are part of everyone's life when you're the bank manager. So that's incredible. Yes. Incredible to see that. Definitely. I think one of my funniest stories, Craig, was when, you know, the, the people that we'd lived quite close to the pub, you know, and people would maybe have had a couple of, you know, too many beers and, you know, we, we our bedroom was on the corner of this balcony and we'd hear, 
people, you know, one o'clock in the morning, bank man, bank man, give us a loan. And dad would walk out onto the balcony in his pyjamas and he'd throw them down coins and then they'd laugh and then they'd, you know, walk off. But he was, you know, a big part of the community and sport and the Lions Club. And, you know, he was the coach of our netball team and just, you know, was so involved in that. But it was it was a beautiful thing to see, you know, that com- that sense of community as well. Mm, beautiful. Now, now, it's interesting at the moment, I, I kind of feel that for especially a lot of leaders coming up through the ranks and, and even more established leaders, it's a little bit confusing. You know, we're, we've been told we must be a compassionate leader. No, you must be a servant leader. No, you must be a futuristic leader. No, you must be a strategic leader. Oh, no, you have to be vulnerable. No, you have to be an authentic leader. And it's like, well, we have to be all of those. You just know, need to know when to apply each one and, and how much gravity they hold. When we talk about service leadership, well, what's the difference between, say, a servant leader versus a service leadership? With the servant leadership, a lot of the philosophies around my service leadership draw from the, you know, philosophies of servant leadership. And I absolutely wrote and, you know, acknowledged that in my book, you know, right back to the the work of Robert Greenleaf in terms of this whole concept of servant leader, which is really about, you know, serve first and, and lead second. And it was really interesting in an article that I was writing about the difference between the two, you know, servant leadership is certainly can be applied, you know, across any lens, whereas the service leadership is those principles, but it is looking through the eyes of looking at customer service, customer experience leadership. So there's a direct link to that outcome and how that impacts on both the customer and employee experience more deeply. But it's also about the being of service in daily action. So it's the really practical application of what we can do as leaders on that daily basis to be able to be of service to to our people. So it takes those theoretical, you know, sort of pieces and then puts it in a way that I can actually apply this in my everyday work. And this is how I can show up as a, as a service leader. Mm. Now, the way a number of different industries deliver what we might term as customer services had quite a radical shift in the last few years where we're seeing some of it where there is probably no human interaction at all it's it's purely technology uh, to be quite honest i'm not sure if i've seen any good uh, ai technology when it comes to customer service yet and <laughs> i'm hoping i'm hoping companies actually manage to automate things that are mundane jobs that don't require human interaction. I hope they focus mm-hmm. on that and put the people back into the customer service because, by golly, it's it's the one thing that I find is a drain on life, right? When you got to sit on a phone call or you got to sit on a chat bot and things are just not happening how you'd like it, you just want to talk to a human being. So, yeah. So how has that really affected the way leaders should look at customer service? Be looking at the the automation, you know, the self-service and the technology. And I think just to your point too, Craig, that this is where we can use this to be able to help to make people's lives easier mm. and to be able to make the experience easier and, and reduce, you know, what we talk about is that customer effort. And so that is when we can leverage that technology for it to be a really positive experience. But it's often when the customer has a problem or has an issue or something's gone wrong, that that's when we 
want to speak to a human being. And that's where that empathy, you know, is so much more critical because there's somebody that I can actually speak to or I can engage with. So, you know, I think from that lens of the leader is is also looking you know, through that view of, of when we're looking at it as well, what are those things that can be automated that can make both mm. the customers and our team members' life easier so we can utilise those skills and, and abilities and all the great things that our, our team bring that can actually help to enhance that customer experience through the human interaction. So, you know, I think that when we when we will be able to continue to come to that point when we can look at which of those tasks can we automate, which of those tasks really the, the human will make a, a significant difference that that, you know, I, I truly believe will continue to be a competitive advantage when, you know, we're looking at, at both of those to make it a, you know, a really seamless, easy experience for the customer with leaders that are mm. caring about their people. Yeah, and I'm sure most companies go in with the right intent when it goes to how do we, you know, from a customer service point of view around how can we, systemize this automate this and and i'm sure they're going for the right reasons to think about for the actual customer but in most cases it actually suits the business but may not always suit the customer and so for me like if it creates a barrier if there's any sort of barrier or it lengthens the time to actually getting a problem solved then we actually are doing the company a disservice yeah and and that's where I there's a big difference between being able to design a process that's going to you know or a system that's going to suit the business without putting the customer at the heart of it first. Mm. So that's when I think when we see that customer focus, the customer centricity, the customer at the heart, when the customer's been thought about in the design of that process, of that workflow, of that end-to-end -end journey, that's when we see the difference because from the customer's perspective, it's a positive experience as compared to one that can be deeply frustrating, as I'm sure we've all experienced. Yeah, and talking about centricity, we saw for many, many years that the workplace has very much been around the business centricity. Then we saw a, you know, a shift towards client centricity uh, and then a little bit around personal centricity kick in and then COVID hit and everything became employee-centric. And we're starting to see it balance out a little bit more. And I think we're, we tend to be in a bit more of a, I feel overall a better place where we're now looking at from lenses of how do we balance all kind of three or four of those balls at once, because we can't just focus on the customer and not, and forget about our own people or the, or the effects that have on the business um, and, and obviously vice versa. So I think that is shifting into a good space right now to be able to and i think to be able to lead these right you need someone that is very much a servant service minded leader mm. to, to, to definitely really to hold that space and there is one model that i wrote about to craig in my in my book that actually puts it's a, an infinity model that's got the employee and the customer centricity linked because it's always been you know those two really interesting you know, schools of thought around, you know, the employees first and then customers first and so on. But when we really think about it, we just, we can't have one without the other. Okay. And so when we're able to be able to link both of those and recognize that we do put our, you know, people first in, in our thinking, but we also have our customer first thinking. And when we can bring those two at the, at the intersection, that that's when we can, you know, create really, really powerful both employee and customer experiences so yeah it's interesting i ended up writing a writing a bit of a, a chapter about that one just because of those two different you know arguments that if they're isolated it can affect either 
when we do in fact need need both. Yeah, we're in a system. We're, we're not uh, in isolated silos at all and how we work. <laughs> um, when, you know, if you look at kind of the how we're, the world is kind of transitioning at the moment into, you know, sort of a new working world and so to speak, are we seeing the role of the leader taking a bigger part in regards to customer service? You know, for many companies, I think in the past, it's just been, okay, those on the ground, you deal with the customer service. Uh, how important is it that the leader sets the, um, actually sets the the culture of, you know, the way customer service, the end result of customer service? And it really is about the, the culture that's set by the organization that is then driven, you know, by that leadership. And when we see that across the board, so, you know, for me, it's also about looking at leaders that are, you know, supporting customer facing or frontline teams, but then also our leaders that are also supporting teams that may be internally facing or internal service partners that each leader and their team knows the importance of their role and how that impacts on the customer experience. And I think that the service culture pieces is really, really significant because, you know, we know culture is very much created by people, but to be able to build that culture, it does have to be driven by the leadership. And that starts with the CEO, with the executive directors and every leader in every area of an organization so you know from the customer service you know team but also then looking at hr and finance and you know it and policy makers and everywhere in between so that is when we've got each leader that's got that lens and that focus that that's when we can have that really strong service culture uh, and so when we look at like say say leaders wanting to to shift their focus more into this lens what are they looking for? Is it, is it they do they need to think about what the end result is for the customer first, or is it based on you know deciding what principles they want as a company first to portray? What what how should we approach it? I always look starting off, you know, Craig, at, at looking at that overall strategy. So what's our, you know, overall, you know, customer strategy that can also include looking at the values of the organization. But then looking at what are those standards and behaviours that we want our people to be able to deliver. And so if we look at, you know, different organisations, some of them will have them very, you know, clearly defined. I, I always use the Ritz-Carlton as one of my favourite examples because it is so clearly defined, you know, and in terms of their, you know, their whole, you know, motto and their credo and their service standards, that that's going to be, you know, across the board. So if we've got also all leaders that are also aware of what those standards and behaviours are. People know what's expected of them because otherwise it can just be a, well, what what do you mean by great service? What should I be delivering? And they can be, you know, adjusted slightly as well depending on those different areas. But what is also so important when we're looking at those, you know, standards and behaviours that they are, you know, measurable, that they're observable, that there's really clear standards around the service that each team is, you know, expected to deliver. And that if we, if people are clear on what's expected, then the leaders can also support that, can then recognise that, they can coach and, and feedback. So starting off looking at that, you know, sort of more global level of looking at the strategy and then looking at the values, looking at the, the brand promise, 
you know, the standards, you know, the behaviours, but then also looking at that whole end-to-end customer journey Mm. and for each team to then also recognise that we are all links in that chain. And so what is our part in that customer journey and how does our role and the work that we do matter and how does that impact on that end customer experience? Because I think it's so important for you know, as as leaders that we also help our people to understand, you know, why what they do matters and how it impacts on the customer so that I don't have people that do turn up to workshops saying, well, I don't even know why I'm here. I, I don't have any customers yeah. um, because the, the leader hasn't also had that time to be able to explain to them who their customers are because some are internal partners, some are external customers, some are a combination of both. But I think for people to see the purpose in in what they do and why their work matters and how it impacts the customer uh, is so important. Mm, I love this because quite often we'll see companies and they'll go, all right, customer service team, they're the ones who do customer service. And Every single per like for me, every single person in a company is customer service. You absolutely all because you all whatever your role is, you have an impact on, as you say, the the end user, the customer, what their experience is comes down to, you know, how well is a product package, uh, how well is you know, a piece of wood finished, uh, like all sorts of things, you know, that you can think of. We all play our small part. And I always love the uh, the moment in time where I think it was JFK went into NASA and asked the janitor, you know, what's your job? And he said, my job is to put a man on the moon. Mm. You know, so he clearly knew what the outcome was of of what their, of what NASA was to do. And their end client was those astronauts being put into space. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, if anyone listening to this is leading is to just have a, have a check in and go, all right, do we have a culture where everyone understands that they are serving the customer? Absolutely. And, you know, Tony Shea, um, the late great Tony Shea, you know, of Zappos, you know, I'd loved and still, you know, refer to his quote that customer service is an attitude, not a department. And, you know, I often, you know, share that in my work because we want everybody to to think that. But it, I absolutely agree with you that that purpose and people seeing, you know, why what they do truly matters that purpose and how it relates to the customer. And I, I just talked about one example on my book, a, a fabulous, um, you know, leader that was, you know, in the hospital, you know, environment and was talking to one of the PSA or the personal, you know, attendance, care attendants. And, you know, when they just sort of said, what, what is it that you do here? And they said, oh, I'm just the cleaner. And then they said, well, you know, you actually have one of the most important roles in this hospital. You save lives, you know, mm-hmm. through infection control. And so, you know, again, you can see, that task but helping for people to feel important in in what they do and and how that role can have a significant impact on on the customer because i think if we all can feel that sense of pride and purpose it does make a difference to how we get up and approach work every day every person needs to understand their importance and their significance in what Mm. they do And, and i love that you know that's a really good example where you know someone's just cleaning the floors at a hospital and actually, as you say, they probably have the most important job. And yeah, absolutely. With the with the whole thinking about infection control and how the ripple effect of that. So, you know, I think if people can see their part in those ripples, it, it does make it a, you know, a really, a really different reason to turn up to work every day. Mm. 
Yes, I like that. Now, we when we think of customer service and, and we're trying to understand what is our, you know, what, what level of customer service do we have? How do we measure that? You know, we, we see some people focus on, you know, five-star ratings, others focus on a net promoter score. What is it that we should really be looking for to understand what it, that, that the customer service is actually working? I do believe that, you know, looking at those different, you know, measures that people use. So I think the important thing is that there is measurement. You know, that's a really important part of that measurement and feedback. It's not always going to be either within that score. Sometimes the feedback comes in the comments, but it's also how are we listening to our customers? How are we actually finding out what they think and what they feel? And, you know, it can be in those formal ways that can be captured through the, you know, the MPS or whether it's through, you know, customer satisfaction, whether it's measuring customer effort scores. So there's a, a way to capture that as well, but it's also that anecdotal feedback and and what is our voice of the customer? How are we capturing that voice of the customer? But most importantly, what are we doing with that information that we have? So, you know, I think there's far too many examples um, where first and foremost, there is no measurement. So organisations, you know, don't actually have a clear idea of, you know, what their customers think of their service, but also the other ones that might get that information, but nothing's actually done with it either. So for me, the strength is in looking at how that voice of the customer program is set up so that there is ways that we can capture that feedback from customers, but most importantly, we're listening and then we are acting, you know, on those insights and and keeping that customer in the loop. But as well as that, within that, looking at that voice of the team and also, you know, making sure that there's ways that we can capture what our, our team, you know, think as well, because there's so much gold that can be captured from there because they're often listening to the customer and hearing their, you know, pain points and hearing their challenges. And if only we could, and have we thought about, and so there's huge opportunities in in both, you know, the voice of the customer and the voice of the team. I love that, listening to the voice of the customer and the voice of the team. It's a great way to approach it. I really like that. You've written a book around, they serve like we lead, and what was the inspiration around writing this book? The inspiration came, Craig, about, I think it would have been probably about maybe 10 years ago. And so when I started, you know, doing training, so I came from a, a L&D, from a, a training and development background, and I used to train all different types of, you know, training from, you know, leadership training to looking at systems. And so my last role was as a a national training manager. And so when I started my practice coming up 23 years ago, somebody suggested that I should focus on the area that I was most passionate about and follow that. So my friend Peter at the time, and I listened to that, which I'm so glad I did because it was always service. And so for those first years of my practice, it was very much focusing on frontline training. So, you know, customer service skills and looking at, you know, complaints and dealing with difficult customers. And it was through sort of more of that listening to the frontline team that I just continued to hear about how frustrating it was having less than ideal leaders and some terrible leadership stories that just literally would make your toes curl. And so I started hearing about this impact. And I then started training the um, unit in the diploma of management and looking at all of the uh, quals uh, and the managed quality customer service unit. So that then, you know, I started doing more work with leaders um, going back some time ago. 
But it was just then reading that quote, and the quote was first from Sir John Sainsbury from the Sainsbury supermarket uh, in the UK. They serve like we lead. And I just, I still remember it just like, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. And it thought, you know, I just had that moment where I thought all of the efforts around training frontline and the all of the efforts around here, if we don't have leaders that take care of their people and are supporting and enabling and empowering their people, it makes everything over here so much harder. And so I wrote down that quote and then I promised the frontline, you know, in my frontline training that one day I was going to write a book called They Serve Like We Lead and it was going to be all about how to take care of people. So, you know, that was that was the inspiration was just hearing you know, and speaking to so many people and delivering so many workshops and seeing the impact, but not just of the poor leadership, but also the exceptional leadership. Mm. You know, the leaders that like impacted people's lives, that their team were raving about how incredible they made their lives and their work and their careers and opportunities. So it was just such a, a difference between the two. And I just thought there has to be in something in that and then started working more around the service leadership space as well. And so that's where the inspiration for the book came from. When you, so obviously that shift, that kind of light bulb moment where you are from Sainsbury supermarkets and they serve like we lead. How did that change the way you were delivering training or you're working with your clients? Yeah, great question. What then started happening was that often I would be asked to come in to do a, an engagement around training and, and doing that frontline training. So it also then became that deeper conversation where it sometimes became more apparent that it was actually what we needed to do was that we needed to start with leadership and then look at doing the frontline training. So that then became a big shift in my practice, that that is something that if we truly want to be able to create a customer-focused team, we have to also be able to work with the leadership. And so from there, particularly for my large-scale cultural transformation, service cultural transformation projects, that it is always starting with the leadership first. And then we look at the front line. Then we also look at all of the support teams as well that are, you know, helping to deliver, you know, the internal, you know, service and internal service partners. And so it's where it starts with leadership because if we want to have a truly customer-focused culture and deliver great experiences, leadership makes the single biggest difference to the customer experience. So, you know, my conversations then very much changed around where we needed to start to be able to get this outcome of, of great service. Hallelujah. I, <laughs> I, I agree with this for all training, to be quite honest. You know, we get brought in to do different types of training, whether it be communication, leadership, etc., and a lot of it is, it's really difficult. I mean, you can go deliver the training, right? You deliver mm. it, but the outcome is only as good as what has been modeled and and kind of expected from the top down. And I think, it, you know, I watch a lot of companies who will bring in different people and have different approaches, maybe internal, external for their type of training. And there's no central pillar of an approach. Right, so you can mm. use multiple people, I'm fine, but as long as they have a real central approach to, you know, is it, whether it be customer service or the way we present or the way we, the culture of our company or whatever it may be. Mm. You know, I think that's so, so important for organizations to understand. 
Absolutely. And when we leave from delivering that training, you know, we also want to be able to make sure that we've got leaders that are then able to coach those behaviours, that can then recognise those behaviours, that then can give feedback, that are also then looking at the accountability, you know, as well. So the, the leadership is such an important linchpin for also helping to set the team up for success and to ensure that that learning continues the minute that they get back from the training and the leader says, so tell me, how was the training? What did you learn and what did you get out of it? And what can I help and support you with? And they come back with their action plan about what they want to work on. So they're going to be supported by their leader. The leader knows what you know training that they've gone through. The leaders also had their own you know training in those same philosophies and standards and behaviours. So and it is all about, you know, how we can deliver those great outcomes for our clients and not just doing training for the sake of training. I'm sure you're exactly the same, Craig. We do what we do because mm-hmm. we want to be able to help our, our clients deliver value and to be able to make a difference. So, you know, that that for me is such an important part of what I do. Yeah, it just made me think back to an email I received earlier this week where we delivered training to a company at the beginning of this year. And this time around, they, they said, look, we, we want to do another. We love the training. And they said, oh, look, can we do dates at this certain time? So we come up with dates and they come back and said, look, can you do these dates? Because our CEOs heard great things about the way you're approaching it and wants it to be, wants it to be modeled across the entire company. And she wants to be in the training for this one. Can you do these dates? And I was just like, well, this is great. This is what I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just recognizing that people have learned something and are doing something in a certain way. It's like now understanding, okay, we can't just rely on them to do it. I need to understand this so we can make sure that we keep following up with them, that they're able to continue those standards and or even raise those standards throughout. And which is so important when you look at, you know, customer service. If unless the 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 top of the tree, the the leader, et cetera, or they may be the middle of the tree or the bottom of the tree, the leader, whoever knows, um, that they actually really grasp it and can just keep that eagle eye view and make sure that the messaging is consistent, that they are monitoring it and making sure that there's no shift to the left or the Mm. right or up or down, um, which can occur if no one's actually keeping that sort of helicopter eagle approach on it. And I think there's, it's also just so powerful for the team. Like I know, particularly in my, um, you know, cultural transfer, service culture transformation projects that I do, that you've got the team members that are sitting there with the CEO and then another table sitting there with one of the directors and is sitting there with the frontline team member with one of the team from, you know, IT. It's just, it's so powerful. And, you know, I know I refer to the model in my book in terms of that flipping that upside down pyramid, but the CEO, you know, is there to be able to, and every layer of leader to support the people that are closest, you know, to the customers. So, you know, I think it sends a really powerful, you know, message when the, you know, entire leadership team is there doing what everybody, you know, else is, is doing also, as well as having that separate leadership focused training, but it's, it is, it's really powerful and the team love it. Yeah. I, it thinks back to a podcast interview I did with uh, Michael, I think it's Michael Seward. Um, is it Michael? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, and from the uh, the Skybus. So they have a new name down, but it was the Skybuses that travel between the airport and the city. Melbourne have them, Sydney have them, I know Auckland does, Brisbane, et cetera now. And I... I remember talking to him about the fact that both him and his co-CEO, so I love co-CEOs, by the way, 
Um, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but they both will find time, and I can't remember how often it is, but it, it's at least every month where they go into a different area of the organization and get right at the forefront. So they'll go in and be taking tickets off people that are getting on the on the bus, mm-hmm. et cetera. So they can really feel it and sense it. And I know you were talking about the Brits Carlton earlier before. I know a lot of hotels will do this where they try and rotate their executives through spending a day in the kitchen, spending a day on the floor, spending mm. a day, you know, doing, uh, you know, going up and cleaning rooms, etc. So you actually get to, to see and feel what it actually takes to provide a, an outstanding experience for the customer and not only customer, but also your employees and making sure that they get to enjoy the role they're doing because you now feel what they feel when they're in it. It's so true. And, you know, and I think across all, you know, type of industries, you know, that I've worked with when the leaders, you know, have done that, like literally sitting in the in the contact centre answering phones and that mm-hmm. <laughs> sweat's pouring off them and they're sitting there with the customer service team. You know, Gail Kelly of Westpac was, was famous for that. You know, every month it would be in there working in the branches and back to David Thode and Telstra days that, you know, he would be on the phone calling customers, you know, mm-hmm. about their complaints. You see the team members that are working alongside their leaders and the, and the leaders are working alongside them. It's really powerful. I, I do the same thing in preparation, you know, for my training, um, you know, as well, you know, often and putting on the uniform and going and working with the team because, you know, to have a, a day in someone's shoes, literally, you know, serving customers and knowing and feeling what that experience is like, you know, I think makes a huge difference, um, you know, to the team. Now I'm going to try and remember. I hope I've got the right person here. But were you were you the the person before you did a keynote for was it PGA Golf? Actually went and spent some time with the coaches on the driving range. Is that correct? Correct. So I uh, I hadn't actually um, picked up a golf club before because I don't think mini golf counts a number of years ago. <laughs> so yeah, it was a wonderful wonderful experience working with the Golf Business Forum at PGA. But I you know, was asked to, when I was asked to do the the keynote, you know, that was one thing for me that, you know, I thought was really important. So I did, I went and had some golf lessons so I could learn what it was like. Just want to drop that I did hit the golf ball 120 metres in the air on my fifth swing, just saying. Oh. I had a great coach, Michael. Uh, and so it was so fun. And then I did get on my very first, the Australian Women's Golf Network Day, I did get a Oh, what's it called again? But anyway, I did, I hit it into, and it went into the hole, a birdie, one of those, a par, a par, that's it. So you can see I'm not a big golfer yet. I'm working on it. But a par on the first hole of Royal Melbourne. So that's just another story. Had to throw that in. But that's because I had such a good coach. (laughs) But yeah, and so, you know, and then I also, you know, went and, you know, bought a golf club and had that experience. So for me, just being able to step into the, the shoes you know, just to have those experiences, it's a, it's a really important part of, of what I do and what I bring to, you know, to my clients and the experiences that I create for them. But it was also such a powerful example of the difference a great coach can make because that also, you know, helped me to have the confidence to even go and join a day to then have a day on a golf course. So, you know, the flow on effect, you know, of that is is huge. Mm. Now, we've all experienced different types of customer service and, and will continue, I'm sure, uh, to, to experience those. But, you know, just because we see customer service doesn't mean it's the person wants to be horrible to you or they don't care about you. 
what is it important for leaders and and even i mean any employee to kind of understand what else might be going on and how we need to be able to separate ourselves from those to ensure that we can still you know maintain great customer service it's a really i've always said you know customer service is not for the faint-hearted like it's one of those roles that you know you have to be able to turn up you know every day to be able to serve customers and to be able to be you know positive and have that great attitude that's always been one of my philosophies craig that nobody ever turns up to work to deliver bad customer service so when there is poor customer service it's always about you know the leader asking why you know why has that poor experience been created and maybe it is because there's terrible processes Mm -hmm. Um, i've certainly worked with you know people it's the process that's actually got in the way of that experience technology that doesn't work properly i'm sure we've all been on the other you know end of that as well there's a procedure you know that doesn't work or or a policy Uh, and i think for me the least one is attitudinal you know sometimes there are just people and i think a very small percentage of people where it is their attitude but it's so it's the least reason i see consistently but i've always you know said when we talk about that in my service leadership programs that we we also we're human and we bring our whole selves to work and sometimes there are things going on in people's lives that are bigger than work and so for the leaders to be able to have that you know what you spoke about earlier about that compassion and that empathy that if somebody's not delivering that great experience the first thing is just checking in to make sure that person's you know okay and is everything okay in their world we don't know what is going on in someone's life they could have been up all night with a ill child and you know elderly parent you know there could be something else you know going on a bereavement we we just don't know so that deeply caring leader will always look at that to be able to say if that person normally does deliver great service then what is going on for that person today and so sometimes that might be thinking about an alternative role that they could do let's just take them off the phones and mm. and maybe there's some other you know paperwork or something that we can do maybe there's you know it might even just be through that level of care we're just going to send them home for the day because there's something else going on when it's that pattern though of behavior of people that might just be continually negative towards customers and not showing up and turning up late and there's nothing else going on then that can you know point to you know another issue that needs to be addressed and that's through feedback because you know that accountability so it's you know I wrote a recent article about it that you know is having a bad day an excuse for poor customer service because when we're working in service and it's been my whole life and I'm sure you're exactly the same as somebody that delivers you know workshops and keynotes we're, we're the same regardless of what's going on we can't turn up to work with a negative attitude yeah. so for me it's also helping people to have tools and strategies in their toolkit so that they also know what they can do to be able to get through those experiences in those days, but also the toolkit for the leaders to know how to support and care for those people. And if they're not delivering service, why? Do they need some coaching? Do they need some additional feedback? Do they need some training? You know, is there some knowledge that's maybe missing because we want to help to set people up for success. But for me, it's always diagnosing. If someone's not delivering great service, why? You know, because I think this tiny percentage of people that just shouldn't be in customer service. It's so small. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we've, we've seen a, a fascinating experiment on human behavior over the last three, three and a half, yeah, three and a half years now. 
And it's interesting when you look at those that really at the front line, um, when you think about hospitality and tourism and, and people being on flights, you know, the unintended consequences that may have resulted in less than ideal customer service were, you know, probably in the beginning, they were about let, let's protect our people or, or we're trying to protect the public in a certain way. And so some of those things, actually, the unintended consequence was the, the customer service drop because, you know, we, we had a different experience in a way. You know, if I look at airlines, they, their staff, they obviously had to wear face masks the whole time. They were protected. So it meant they went from the airline to, um, sorry, from the plane to the terminal on a, on a bus straight away. They were whisked away to a hotel. They couldn't leave their rooms face masks on all the times when they're on the planes, they were pretty much asked to limit any interactional conversation with the staff. Now that has a flow on effect both ways, right? You've got, mm-hmm. it's, it's now those people have joined that because they love being around people and want to talk to people and connect with people and different people around the world. And now they've been asked to one, not talk to them, not interact with them, not touch them, not speak to them. And so that shift to come back is is really difficult. And, and you also had a lot of redundancies and layoffs in those industries because there, there were no one flying. There were no one going to hotels. So, so it was a really fascinating in those industries to how do you then reignite the culture again of great customer service because you've, you know, people have been pulled down and it, it just be, it feeds on each other so you've now got to flip that round so when we've got maybe a company that might still be struggling with this or we've got a company that realizes hey we have done something where we tried to support someone or we tried to make a better decision for the company but it's re- resulted in our customer service levels dropping how do we bring that back up again the reset opportunity is is always there. And I've always said, you know, Craig, doesn't matter where we are, it's it's where we want to be able to get to. But I think across so many industries, like we can't underestimate the impact that that had and particularly in areas that were more impacted than others. And as much as, you know, we saw a lot of organisations do some really creative things from, you know, the Providor meals that were delivered instead of being at the beautiful three hat restaurants and so on as well, everything that was was done, there's a residual impact mm-hmm. of how that impacted not only how we served, but also too how people's normal ways of working were then taken away. So we've even seen that now in even areas like hospitality, where people couldn't work and had to find alternative, you know, employment, that now there's also gaps, you know, in in terms of being able to fill those positions, because there may have been people that have left the industry, you know, I was talking to some team members this week that was in the supermarket retail area that were just subjected to so much abuse that they left the industry. So, you know, I think we had the restrictions, we had different ways of doing things, we had legislation, we had vaccine checks, we had increasing customer abuse and and so on. So there's been, there was so much that happened within the community. So I think it is about being able to acknowledge, you know, what's happened, acknowledge that pain to then, you know, I think it's so important that that's also validated people's experiences of what they've been through, but then also being able to say, you know, that's, 
you know, an opportunity, looking at that opportunity to reset. So what do we now, what is that vision now? What do we want our service experience to be like? You know, where are we? What needs to change? And what do we want to be able to, to be, you know, going forward? So I think there's really, it's so important to, to validate and acknowledge these years that, you know, people are still mm. talking about that that impact, but also then being able to help to bring them into the future and redefining that service vision about what we want that customer experience, you know, to be like within within that context. Yeah, I feel there's no better time than now to to really look at your customer service and create that reset and look forward, you know, with tough economic times, plus coming off a disruption through COVID. This is the ideal time, you know, when really we can only go upwards from here uh, mm. in the next few years. So set yourself up for success by really focusing on creating that that customer service minded culture and which is led from the top we all know smart people have great answers <laughs> but the most successful people ask great questions when was the last time you did something for the first time oh when did i do something for the first time that's a really interesting one so i know you mentioned the golf one so that was one that i definitely um, would think about. And I also think um, for me, being able to look at something else I did for the first time, for me, it's also just about continual learning. So I, I do regularly put myself in that position just to continue to learn new things. So the other, you know, it was going back a couple of weeks ago, I just went and did my emotional intelligence accreditation. So that was my most recent one. I think on the practical one, uh, the golf one, definitely, that was a big thing to learn something new. But yes, I just recently did my emotional intelligence accreditation. So I learned how to do assessments on emotional intelligence, which was fascinating. Love it. Love it. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Oh, I have to say, I always go the first thing that comes into my head, Craig, I would love to look at how we can solve homelessness. Mm -hmm. So it's something I um, am deeply passionate about through my Love, Hope and Daisies Foundation that was uh, named after my younger sister, Sim. But I just look at, you know, the world that we live in, that, that there has to be a solution. You know, that this is something that I still believe that we could we could be able to look together about how we could how we could fix this. That's that's my one question. I would I would definitely want to have answered and and look at my role that I could play in that as well. I was spending time with a Winston Churchill fellow recently who has some has some fascinating insights into how they are doing this around the world. So it is possible, mm. which is great, and I love that that question. For you, what is an inspiring great leader? And who is a great example of this for you? So an inspiring great leader for me is somebody who leads by example. Somebody, I think, who also helps people to be the best version of themselves, but also somebody who stretches you, somebody who also empowers you, and, you know, somebody who also, I think, recognises you for the the person that you are. So, you know, I, I love writing about those, you know, leadership qualities. And for me, 
again, I always, you know, when you ask those questions for the first time, you always go the first thing that, you know, pops into your head. And um, I would have to say for me, uh, Matt Church. So Matt's the founder of Thought Leaders Business School. And uh, and so I've been part of Thought Leaders for coming up four years. And, you know, Matt's had a profound, you know, influence on on my life and certainly has been, you know, my greatest teacher. So I'm going to say Matt Church. Beautiful. I have spoken a little bit about Matt Church lately. He's been popping up in a few conversations, <laughs> which is fantastic. You've shared some wonderful insights today. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? So best way to people connect with me is through my website, which is just moniquerichardson.com.au or feel free to drop me an email, which is hello at moniquerichardson.com.au and also through LinkedIn. And if you really wanted to chat on the phone, I love a good chat. So my phone number is also there on my website. Monique, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I love hearing about your family's influence in regards to having a real service mindset, you know, from your dad in the banking to uh, your late sister who, uh, you know, just wanted to, to really make a difference and an impact in so many people's lives in her short 21 years on this planet to hearing about your mum as a nurse and your other sister and to even see your children and, and what they're doing now and how they really want to contribute to the world. Uh, to your your big lesson where you got the aha moment around they serve like we lead and that shift from just training the front line, which is you know somewhat the band uh, band aid of of the customer service at a business, to really going to that deep root cause or the um, and to really focus on what actually will control the outcomes in customer service, which is to start at the top with leadership and and setting the culture throughout the entire organization. Your insights, your stories, your approach is is amazing. Absolutely love it. And obviously we'll put all those links in the show notes as well as where you can find They Serve Like We Lead. But Monique, it's been an absolute pleasure. Love speaking with you today can cont- and we'll definitely continue this conversation in the future. And all the best with your golf uh, your golfing <laughs> talent and, and no one, I'd love to hear how that progresses in the future. Thank you so much, Craig. It's just been, you know, for me, this just feels like such a, a heartfelt conversation and thank you for your, you know, your, the questions, but also your insights and just, uh, I think just also your wonderful humility. I've just certainly gained so much from just your, your presence and, and just being with you today. So my biggest thank you to you. Big gratitude. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.